Welcome to Southside Community Church. Enjoy our Sunday morning message. Thank you so much, Alex. It is really an honor for me to be here today, but I, uh, because confession is good for the soul, I want to confess a little something. Ever since I met Alex Caseri five years ago, I've, I've struggled with some envy, and it has to do with his hair. Um, and if you saw Greg five years ago, I mean, it was a hair helmet. Like, it was fantastic. Every time we'd meet, we met weekly. I'd drive down here from Hartville, and we'd have a weekly meeting. And I think for the first five minutes of every meeting, I just stared at his hair. And I'm, I just had to check in then. Like, it was pretty fantastic because I'm minus uh, some hair. So, yeah, and then, then I meet another Alex, Guitar Alex, has the same head of hair. So it's like, what's, what's going on here at Southside besides hair? Um, no, but in all seriousness, uh, it's an honor to be here with you, uh, specifically because I was a part of that TAP team. Uh, it's, it's an honor to be here to see what God's done in a very short time. Um, the TAP team was great in getting some direction and then we got to come down here. We also, our church got to come down on a work day and participate with you all here at this building and just seeing the blessings ever since then. It's just, we're, we're excited for, for Southside. And you have a great pastor. Uh, Greg, Greg Grimwood loves you. He boasts about you. I keep telling you, you're supposed to boast in the cross, Greg, not your church. But I'm kidding. He, he loves you. He loves you. He, he just values every single one of you. And I'm really honored that he asked me to be here today, so thank you for that. True religion is what we're covering today. And before we get into the scripture, I want to just talk a little bit about uh, brotherhood. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's hard to be a younger brother. I'm, uh, I'm a younger brother, but uh, I want you to think for a second about the younger brother in the parable of the two sons, or the lost son, or the prodigal son, whichever way you, you put it. Um, the older brother in that parable, and I know you know that parable, he seemed to do everything right. The younger brother, he squandered that inheritance that he asked for from his dad. I'll skip to the end of that story, and you, you know the end of that story. You, you figure out they both have sin in their lives. Both of those boys had sin in their, in their lives. The younger one, he was brazen about it, right? He just sinned. But then he's also the one that repented. Uh, the older brother, he was quieter about his sin, but it did come out. His sin came out. And in that story, the only unfortunate thing, we're not sure what his response was to the father's love. So I feel like we're left guessing what was, how did he respond to his father's love? Um, I, like I said, I'm a younger brother. Uh, I grew up in the shadow of my big brother, four years older than me. Started high school. You know, he had just left high school. And his nickname was Wendy. That's what Kasseri calls me, Wendy. Well, when I came into school, I was little Wendy. Well, nobody likes to be little anything. It didn't help that he was a big football player and I was a soccer player, if you couldn't tell. So little Wendy times two, and it was just, I, it took four years to kind of, you know, process through that. My brother and I are very different, but we're also very much the same. Ask our wives. We're very much the same in many ways. Um, but as I was approaching the end of high school, I, I wasn't little Wendy anymore. I was just Wendy. And then I wasn't even Wendy anymore, and I was actually, finally, 
David or Dave. And it, it was just an identity thing for, for any of us. And if you're a younger sibling, you, you understand what I'm talking about. Imagine what it was like for James. We're going to be in the book of James. Imagine what it was like for James, the half-brother of Jesus. I'll say the Christ, the son of the living God, growing up in the same household. Imagine what that was like. I can't. Dean was, per my brother was perfect enough to have to follow. But as I look at James, there's something about, that we learn about him that his blood relationship with Jesus, you know, half-brother, uh, it wasn't nearly as, as important to him as his spiritual relationship with Jesus. That's, and we know that because we have the letter, we have the book of James. And you may have heard of James referred to as blue-collar faith. I don't know, there's some different titles, different subtitles that people give to the book of James because it's lower on theology, right? And it's really high on practice, like these are the things you should do. Um, and I'll say, for, for if you've been in the faith for any time at all, these are things you know, right? But they're hard to do. And I'm going to say they're hard to do for a long time. So that's what James speaks to for us. And Pastor Greg has walked you all through most of chapter 1 uh, in, in this book. And the, this chapter introduced what are called some pastoral concerns, is what chapter 1 has done for us. And we're going to conclude that chapter today. And uh, it's good to know that today's two verses, we're only covering two verses, uh, James 1, 26 and 27. We'll get there in a moment. Uh, it's good to know that 21 through 25 that you went through last week, is, it's a continual thought to today. What, what, uh, what Dan Ackerman preached on last week, which I hope you heard that, that leads us into where we're at today. So if you want to have your Bibles open, I'll also have it on screen here, hopefully. Got it, which is great. Uh, James 1, we're going to just read 21 through 25 because that just reintroduces where we're at to be able to read the scripture today. So let's read. Therefore, verse uh, 21, Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Do what it says. Verse 23, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looked like. But whoever looks intently into what? Into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but actually doing it. Listen to how this verse ends. This leads us into today's scripture. They will be blessed in what they do. We are set up to read verses 26 and 27. And James grows increasingly practical. I, I have to use that word. I'm a practical person. I like practicality. I'm a very linear thinker. Uh, when things are abstract, I typically get lost. Uh, but the, the things that James does for us, they're practical and specific. He says in the verses we just read, accept the word, do the word. So the overall point that he's making is that true, true religion manifests itself in a life of obedience to God. 
Once again, I know you know this. James knows that you know this, but yet we still struggle. And so today's two verses are a transition to actually what is really going to be expanded on in the next four chapters of the book of James. So thus far in the scripture, in short, if you believe, the scripture says you will do. If you say you believe, you really, really ought to do. You really, you better do if you say you believe. If you say you believe, I believe you actually will do what the word of God says. So James finishes off um, this chapter, this expression of concern, this pastoral concern, by mentioning three things. And I want to mention those three things, if we could put them on the screen here, before we even read the scripture. He mentions three specific ways that believers can accept and do the word. And the first one is control your tongue. You know, your words, they're important. The second one is display concern for the helpless. This has to do with our sins of omission, the things that we should do, but yet we do not do. And scripture actually says those are sin for us. The third one is avoid worldliness. These are sins of commission, the things that we know we shouldn't do, but yet we still struggle with and we do. We're gonna address that today. So all that to say, very long introduction, which we need, because it is the book of James, to marks of pure and faultless religion. So let me just read those two verses, and then we are really going to break them down. James chapter 1, verse 26 says, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. If you're a visitor, visitor here today, um, Pastor Greg asked me to speak to you all about sinful words, worthless religion, sins of omission, and sins of commission. Welcome to Southside Church. <laughs> Thank you, Greg. I'll have words with you about this when you get home. I'm kidding. Uh, the whole, I, I actually listened to this entire sermon series while I was driving, your entire, Greg preaching and also Dan preaching last week, I had a really long drive, and I got to listen to every sermon. It really has built up to today, not for closure, but for excitement to expand on the teaching, and I'm going to say, not just to the 12 tribes of Israel, this, every word in this letter relates to us. And so you will not get a finger pointing at you today without three pointing back at me personally, Dave Wyndham, that I have got to work on these things. I've got, and I need Jesus to help me with them because I have proven failure daily. So as we get into verse 26, let's go back just for a sec, and I want to just keep those verses, and honestly, y'all, we're going to just stay right here in these two verses. Uh, the word religion, I don't know what you think about the word religion. I'm sure we could have a long talk about it, but the words religious and religion, the, the Greek word of threskos and threskaya, 
they are really rare in the New Testament, that word religion. And it's, it's scarcity, okay, in the New Testament is probably due for the, for the same reason that uh, many Christians avoid them. We, we avo- I don't know, I, I avoid that word religion. I don't know if you do. Because, and we avoid the word religion a lot of times because it's really general. And it covers virtually any form of worship. I'd say even if it's pagan, right? There's pagan religions. There's Christian uh, faiths and religions. There's other religions, world religions. There's cult religions. So many different things. And they often refer to something that has to do with an outward expression or a ceremony. And I'd say serving a God, any God. Little G God, not big G God. And so... I think we all kind of shy away from that word religion. I actually cringe when someone asks me, oh, if you're, are you religious? You know, what a loaded question. Am I religious? Hmm. Well, I, I could be a religious golfer, right? But that's not going to get me any closer to my creator, right? That's not going to get me to understand the, the sacred any, any better. Uh, my answer is typically, mm, not really. <laughs> you know, somebody asks, are you really? Mm, not really. I, I just love Jesus and I try to love people. Probably a better answer than just saying, yes, I'm religious. Because that's a mixed bag. Uh, a pastor that I respect, Dr. J. Vernon McGee, said, Christianity is not a religion at all. It is a person. Christianity is not a religious at all. It is a person, and that person is Christ. You have him or you don't have him. Well, that'll preach, right? This this test of true religion, talking about our tongue, touches on actually a very important uh, theme of the Old Testament and even of Jewish literature, if you look it up, about uh, keeping a tight rein on our tongue and when, when Greg gets back here and he gets into chapter 3, you're going to see a dissertation, okay, on bridling this wild beast that we call the tongue. But I'm saving that for him, so he'll cover that with you. Failure to control our, our speech, James actually says, he asserts here, that we are deceiving ourselves about true religion. That's very important. We're deceiving ourselves. And just like last week, uh, Dan mentioned something similar, a a similar type of deception in verse 22 that y'all covered about being doers, not just hearers. That kind of religion is worthless. If we're just hearers and we're not doers, that's a worthless religion. And today he's talking about our speech. James is pointing out our hypocrisy here, us. He's pointing that out to us. And by using that term worthless, okay, and if you look at that word worthless, it doesn't mean it's worth less. It's not worth anything at all. It's useless. And this Greek word that he uses to describe it here, it's, it's uh, mateas. I'm sure I'm butchering how to pronounce that. But this word is typically used in Scripture to describe uh, the sin of idolatry okay, as vain and meaningless. So he is comparing, James is comparing here our misspoken words that don't match our faith with worshiping pieces of wood. Ouch. 
Thank you, James. Talk about conviction. Just in verse 26 alone, the tongue. And, and if you know the, you know the scriptures, and, and please allow me to read just a couple here, but have you ever noticed uh, that there are no natural, natural barriers to our ears, right? We have no natural barrier to our ears. The ear canal is wide open, but we have two cages for our tongue. We have our lips and we have our teeth. Isn't God good? He is so good. Listen to how David says this in Psalm 141. He said, he, he, feel, he understands us. If anybody understands us, it's the psalmist. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Hmm, that sounds like this, David. I should, I should pray that. Proverbs, of course, you know this Proverbs has a ton to say about this. Uh, 12, 18. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. 1821 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Death and life. The last one in Proverbs, Proverbs 21:23 says, whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Was there ever a truer statement? Let me say that one more time. Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. What's it saying? Whoever keeps his mouth shut does not it get into trouble? Yeah, but I'm an extrovert. I talk all the time, don't I, Alex? I just don't shut up sometimes. Well, you also know that scripture. Some of you are thinking it. Where words are many, sin abounds. That's, that's a problem. You also had one, James, uh, James 119, you had this already. It says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. We have earplugs that protect us from what goes in, right? And we have muffs if we're, you know, at the shooting range. We have earplugs if we're mowing. But how do we protect or prevent the words that are coming out of our mouths? Have you ever heard the, t the term, put a sock in it? Yeah. Okay, the older people have heard that. Put a sock in it. If, if, if your fellow brother or sister ever says to you, hey, you know, you need to put a sock into it, or you need to put a sock in it, that's actually high-level discipleship. <laughs> that's almost doctoral-level discipleship. Put a sock in it. Got it. Good word. I jest, but I don't, because I, I think with you all here, knowing what you've been raised in for the last five years, you know you know something. Um, you know that it's, it's actually our heart that's the issue, right? You guys know that. It's really not our tongues at all. The tongue is where it's given birth. But the issue is our heart. Jesus said this in Luke 6. You all for sure know the end of this verse, but let me read the whole verse. Jesus said, Luke, 20, or sorry, Luke 6, 45, he said, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the, out of the evil treasure produces evil. That's weird. This person out of his evil treasure produces evil. And then he says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jeremiah 17 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. 
Who can understand it? The heart is the issue. It's the redeemed heart that produces good. It's the unredeemed heart that spills evil. These verses are very clear about that. It's the tongue that can actually, I put it uh, here in my notes, it's the tongue that can give flight to blessings, and it's the tongue that can hurl curses, right? It comes from either a God-given good or it comes from a man-centered wickedness. It's A or B. That's why I love James. It's A or B. Church, if, if our hearts are not filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit, our words will not match the good things that we do with our hands. It just won't. Once again, revealing the hypocrisy of man. It just points out how hypocritical we are. Our words and our doing need to match. And I want to say, God, help us. Please, I, I literally, I'm, I'm actually serious. God, help us to have our words match our actions. That is, this is one verse. One verse. But remember, we have three points to cover. Which leads us back to the scripture, and we'll, we, I'll read verse 27 again, because it's been a minute. It'll cover the second and third marks of true religion. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widow in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. It would be a serious, uh, a grave misunderstanding of these verses to suppose for a moment that James, in, in this verse, is summarizing or that this verse contains all, all meaning all that true worship is, of God, and that is to only care for orphans and widows. That's not what he's saying. That's not all that true religion is. Some people have tried to say that that's what, that, that all means all, and it's just that. John Calvin said, James does not define generally what religion is, but reminds us that religion without these things in general, he mentions is that faith is nothing. I'll say it a way that I, I've learned through some of my schooling, uh, that caring for orphans and widows in this scripture is descriptive. It's a descriptive example of what true religion does, but it's not prescription or prescriptive as if it's the only thing that true religion does. What is James doing to us here? What's he saying by giving this one example? He's warning us that, um, he's warning us against a ritual that goes no further than just an outward show. That, that mere words are it. He's saying true religion does good things. True religion does good things with right motives, right? He's, he's pushing us here. These good things come out of a faith that is, that is ours and is personal and is corporate, talking to the church. If we look at where we're at in this book, this letter, and again, this went to the 12 tribes, okay? He specifically, it's pretty broad, but it was obviously or undoubtedly a problem amongst the Christians at the time. They, weren't do, they, they received the word but weren't doing it. Their words weren't matching. They weren't taking care of each other, hence the letter. And I would say this, these topics are mentioned all the way through scripture. If you know the scriptures, you know that this is a theme that 
James really brings down to, to us and helps us to understand. In this verse, he says, uh, he uses the word father, okay? He, he, he was very specific that uh, like our father God, Christians are supposed to look after uh, orphans and widows. The Old Testament we find all over the place in Isaiah and the Psalms that, that God is a defender of the oppressed, a father to the fatherless, that, that we followers of God should plead the case of, of the widow. We should be defenders of widows. We should be a defender of the fatherless. And uh, it, it, it's, it's such a good thing, for, a good way for us to picture who God is. He is a good father. I look at all the babies in this church. Good fathers are here, wanting the best for their children. And children, that's why you're here, because you have good fathers who want the best for you and to hear truth. Well, some people don't have fathers. Some, some women don't have husbands anymore. How does this body care for them? That's something to address. That's what James is addressing. So the test of pure religion is the degree to which we aid, we, the church, aid the helpless in our world. And, and that's whether there's, and that's why I'm being very specific today, it isn't just widows and orphans. It could be immigrants trying to adjust to a new life. It could be the impoverished. It could be the disabled. It could be the homeless. Who are the helpless, the hopeless among you? Well, that's, that's for you to discover or pay attention to. You probably have discovered. Have you paid attention to? That's the call. I'll say it. James is pushing us, right? When you read this, mm-hmm. It's a pretty soft push, but it's a push. Speaking of this pure and faultless religion, again, J. Vernon McGee said, I feel today that there is a grave danger of the fact that we have a religion of the sanctuary, we do not have one of the street. He's talking about tenderness, kindness, helpfulness. James, in this letter, is simply calling us, calling us out on our sins of omission. Understand that. We're omitting this pure thing. He's mentioning the good that we don't do, and that's where I'll leave you with that. What is the good that you don't do? Talk to each other about that. As a church, as a family, talk to each other about that. The third mark of true religion is more general than the other two. It's kind of interesting how general he goes here, but I think I know why he does it, because he blows it up in the rest of the book. Um, the third mark of true religion is, is, um, is also less concrete. He says, to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So take care of what is an orth orphans, and keep yourself from being polluted in the world. Um, okay, <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's hard. There's a lot of pollution in the world and we're in the middle of it. We are undoubtedly in the world. You didn't have me here today to tell you that. But the question is, you are here and in it, but are you of it? You're in this world, but are you of it? That's what he's pushing us here. We need to understand as Christians that uh, in the kingdom of God, you know, 
The war has already been won. The war was won on the cross. Amen? The war war has been won. But these battles and skirmishes that we are playing out now is to bring as many people over to the winning side because we we all know the end. God wins because he's already won. How many people are we going to have on our team? Sin is currently on around, or all the way around us, everywhere. Sin is around us. We're in it, but are we of it? That's what James is pushing us towards. He talks about not being polluted by the world because he doesn't want to give the impression that religion, that is pleasing to God, consists simply of outward acts or social action. He's, he's, he's like, it isn't just about the good that you do, the, taking care of those sins of omissions, Omission. It's also about the things that you do, do that are not of God. So that term, the world, is common in in the Bible about speaking about the sin that's that's just surrounds all of us. It is this system uh, of an order that is contrary to the heavenly order. It doesn't take long to discover what that is out, you know, uh, all around us. So I put it this way in my notes. Christians have to come out of their, or no, I'm sorry, Christians have come out of their separation from God by accepting the reconciling of work, work of God in Christ. That's coming to salvation. That's coming to faith. As you come into faith, as you trust and put your faith in God for your life here and your life eternal, we must also constantly work to distance ourselves from the way of life that surrounds us on every side. I'm going to say it again, from the way of life that surrounds us on every side. But we have a a catch-22, but yet we also need to be engaged with the people that are in that way of life. Otherwise, we have no effect on the world. Does that make sense? we got to stay engaged but unengaged at the same time. Wow. Thanks, James. It's not easy. This isn't easy stuff. Or to remain faultless. Other scripture says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Uh, Okay. Okay. If there's an important caveat here that I can't go on without saying it, you can't tame your tongue. You can't cease sinning on your own. That's impossible. But God is the author and perfecter of our faith. What does that mean? You are not. I am not. My uh, connection to him, my seeking him, my being in him, how many scriptures there are. There's hundreds of scriptures about talk about what, what it means to be in Christ. The more I am in Christ, the more I am able to do verse 26 and 27. But the less I am in Christ... This tongue will kill me, and the deeds of my hands will be evil. But in Christ, there is perfection, and that's where we have to find ourselves. And that's why we do not forsake the gathering of ourselves, because this is where we get reminded. We are in a battle, right? Let's fight Let's together in Christ and do this. I'll close with um, a verse you all know what a, a hyperbole is? The students do. I know from English class, you guys know what a hyper, hyperbole is. It's, a, it's, a, it's an obvious or a gross exaggeration, okay? To, uh, a, 
the dictionary says, an extravagant statement or assertion not intended to be understood literally. But Jesus used these, and they were awesome. In Matthew 5, 29 to 30, he said, if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. That's hyperbole, people. Notice he didn't say anything about the tongue. I find that curious. Maybe he should have. Say he did. Say he did. We've already covered this, though, but I'll ask the question. Would cutting out my tongue fix the root problem of my sin? Nope. These two verses at the end of James 1, they... They declare, they shout our need for God. I need Jesus every day, every, every day. Don't we? Every day. So, to be practical, which James is, do you know what's more practical than considering cutting off your hand or plucking out your eye or cutting off your tongue? There's three things. I'll restate the points that we have for today. Something that's way more practical than considering these outrageous things is surrender to Christ. Surrendering to Christ, including your tongue. Talk to him about it. Ask for help with it. He'll give it. Seek to know God more intimately while serving others. People, those, those go hand in hand. Seeking God while serving others, those cannot be separated. James is, James is telling us that in chapter one. Last one, as much as possible, avoid worldliness in what you do. It, your actions, my actions, they matter more than you think they do. They matter. Avoiding worldliness is something we all battle. So we're, we're to receive the word. That's what, that's what this whole chapter told us. Receive the word and do the word in Christ Jesus. We are his bride. So let us depend more and more on our groom as we prepare to meet him as his church. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, thank you so much for this good day that we get to gather in this sanctuary as your, as your church, as your bride. Thank you for being our head. Thank you for being our groom and showing us how much you love us. Thank you for this letter from your half-brother uh, to teach us to, uh, he didn't scream at us, but he was very direct on where life is and where death is. And I, I pray, Father, that as we uh, digest uh, your word, um, and that this, this church has been looking deeply into this for a month, two months actually, Lord, as they, as they go further into James, I pray that it would just light them up and that changes that need to happen would be, be made uh, because of your spirit and because of people's choices. I pray that there would just be a concert of obedience and blessing in this church that would be coming out of this deep dive into the book of James. And lastly, Lord, we pray your blessing on Greg and Kara and the girls as they're away and ask that you would return them safely to their flock. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening. Check out our website at southsideworcester.com.